Could I please have an, another loud amen for our young people here praising us? You know, it's, it's, it's so wonderful to have our, our young people up here worshipping and leading us in worship. Um, it, it's, it's a beautiful sight to see our young people serving the Lord. Would you say amen? Amen. Now, uh, welcome all. Welcome family. Uh, thank you again for your prayers. Uh, you know, f- again for the safe travels of, of the wife when she was away and also your prayers for our health. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's been one of the, the most times I've been sick, I think, throughout the year, throughout one, and we're only halfway through. So um, uh, let's, let's pray that no more sicknesses will come this year. Uh, but again, I want to say thank you for your prayers. Thank you for checking in on me and the family, and uh, I really do appreciate this. But welcome, family. Uh, it's nice to see you. Repeat after me. It's nice to see you. To see you is nice. Okay. It really is. And so um, it's great to be here worshiping together. And uh, I know that some of our family members are missing. Uh, keep them in your prayers, uh, whether it's sicknesses or other things that they need to attend to. Please pray for them. Uh, so that they have an enjoyable Sabbath, that they continue to experience God wherever it is they are. And so uh, may we continue to experience God as we worship and share word here this morning. Um, But this morning... Our title of our message this morning is God is Faithful. I mean, we often hear this phrase a lot of the times... That God is faithful. But do we know and experience that God is faithful? Um, And I'm specifically talking about God. You know, oftentimes we hear of people who speak of God as he's a father that's angry. He's a father that will bring down judgment. He's a father that, um, you know, will rain down fire on those who disobey him. But we often gloss or or, or read over the fact that God has been patient with his people, that God is loving, that God is slow to anger. And you read that right through the Old Testament. God doesn't change. Would you agree with me? He doesn't change. He doesn't all of a sudden think, you know what, I've been a bit harsh on my kids. Um, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution to treat them better. No, that's not our Father. That's not our God. God is loving from the beginning to the end, and he doesn't change. He's the same God yesterday. He's the same God today and tomorrow. You know, um, I know I've shared some stories about my own father, and some of those stories come across quite harsh, but I know if you were to sit down with a man today and have a good laugh, I guarantee you would see a good side of my father that I love and cherish and hold on to. It's the same with God. It's the same story if you were to sit and spend time with God in prayer, time with God in the word, you will see the same heart that the father has, the son also has. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen who? You have seen the Father. And 
The way we see Jesus in the New Testament is that he came like a lamb. He came like a shepherd who cared, loved, nurtured, healed, ministered. This was the picture of God we got to see through who? Through Jesus. And he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. God is faithful. Say it with me. God is faithful. God is faithful. So, God in captivity. Um, we're going to go through, if you've got your word uh, or devices, please turn or slide to Jeremiah chapter 29. And here you will find that there is a story where the Israelites um, have constantly turned their back on God. And they are about to go into captivity not because God wanted them to, right? God didn't say, you know what, because of what you have done, I'm going to punish you. That's not how we're supposed to read the story. If you read the story, the Israelites have consistently turned away from God, the living water. In Jeremiah 2 verse 13, it says, they turned away from the God, the living water, and have turned to their broken cisterns, which holds no water. This is the, the relationship of God and Israel right through from when he called them out of nowhere. Israel was not a nation that was recognized for their military power. They weren't recognized for their strength. They weren't recognized for their wisdom. They were nothing. They weren't someone. But God saw them. God brought them out of slavery Based on a covenant he made with who? He made with Abraham. So he honored the contract. He honored the covenant and said, I will be the one faithful in our relationship. So I will be with you. So right to this story in Jeremiah, they're still turning their back on God. Because they're looking at other nations, other kingdoms that are led by kings and other gods. And they're seeing how they, they're rich. They're seeing how they run things. Their life over there seems more attractive. It seems more promising. And so they begin to move in that direction away from God. Away from their shade at night. Away from the warmth of God that continues to rain down. He tried to teach him through the wilderness. So God is faithful. But here in Jeremiah 29, before we read, let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word which continues to communicate to us, Lord Father, how faithful you have been throughout the human history. And so we, as we read today, may we draw hope from the fact that you are still with us and have not forsaken us. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Jeremiah 29... And verse 10 to 14. So just follow as I read. And it says, This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. 
Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me and when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. I will be found by you. And then it, verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity and will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to this place from which I carried you into, what's the word there? Exile. Uh, you, it may change in your own in your versions of the of the Bible. Over to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he will put them to death before your very eyes. So, who's carrying Israel into exile? God. This is a message from God saying that you're going to go into captivity for 70, 70 years. Seventy years. Imagine if you received a message like that, saying that you're going to be evicted from your home and you're going to live at Wilkes Park for 70 years. That, that, I, I don't know how to swallow that. I don't know how to take that in. If God was to say to me, I'm, I'm evicting you from your house and I'm going to make you live out there. And you're going to live there for 70 years. You think of this, this experience. Remember, they, they entered the promised land. This generation we're talking about. They entered the promised land. They've lived there for a while now. And because of their disobedience, because of their wrong relationship with God, they're now falling into captivity. So Babylon is the great kingdom that is in charge at the moment. Babylon is the nation that is ruling the world at this point in time. And so Babylon's coming to overthrow Israel. They're coming to conquer Israel. And here comes a message from God saying, you are going to be in captivity for seven years, but it's okay, I will carry you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to carry you into exile. Was it God's mistake? No. It was his children's mistake. But was God there to pick his children up? He was. And I know God's done that for us many times in our own experiences, in our own lives. I know when we, if we were to reflect back and recount all the stories, all the experiences where we've made mistakes and God comes and he picks us up. We make a mistake. God comes and he says, I still love you. We make a mistake. God comes and says, no, you're still my child. We make a mistake. God comes and he holds our hand through it. He is always doing this. The only time we lose sight of that or lose um, that hearing of knowing that he is there with us is because we've turned right away from him. Times of struggle doesn't mean that God is absent. I'll say that again. Times of trials don't mean that God is absent. If anything, he is even more closer. He is even more nearer to you. That when you're going through those times, 
God is there. I promise you because he has said in his word, he will never forsake you nor forget you. He will be with you until the what? The end of the end of age. So God carry his people into exile. And so he's there with them in the struggle. He's there with them reminding them that even though that you're going to be here for 7 years, I have a plan. I have a plan to rescue you. I have a plan to bring you back to this land. Back to the land I promised Abraham. Back to the land I promised your forefathers. I'm still going to honor the contract. Would you praise God if because of the fact that he continues to keep his part of the contract with us? Our God is faithful. Our God is faithful is the message I will continue to repeat today. God is faithful. Turn to the person left and right. God is faithful. So God in captivity. God's chosen. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Isaiah 45. Isaiah chapter 45. Now Isaiah chapter 45 God gives a prophecy here. He he tells the children of Israel in chapter 45 that I have anointed someone that is going to come and rescue you. So I'm going to read uh just the, the first three verses of chapter 45 in Isaiah. And it says, "This is what the Lord says to his anointed to Cyrus whose right hand I take hold to subdue nations before him to strip kings of their armor and to open doors before him so that the gates will not be shut I will go before you and I will level the mountains I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron I will give you the treasures of darkness riches stored in secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord the God of Israel who summons you by name He's talking about a a guy named Cyrus Cyrus isn't even born yet and God is giving this message to Israel there I have an anointed one by the name of Cyrus Cyrus doesn't come 150 years later 150 years later from when this book was written in Isaiah um so the book of Isaiah here was written about 740 to 700 BC 150 years later this man didn't he he finally came about but God promised that a man by the name of Cyrus now You have to be crazy to predict something like that. Like I I wouldn't stand here and say it's you know 10 years from now you're going to get a pastor by the name of let's go with John by the name of John and he's going to come and baptize you by the 10,000s. I I I can't do that. That's just that's just uh um me just throwing out a prediction but I don't know if it's going to come true. But God says to his people that 150 years from now a man 
And he makes it specific. He says, a man by the name of Cyrus, whom I have anointed, will come to rescue you, will come to free you from your, from your bondage, from your captivity, from your struggle. And so 150 years later, Cyrus the Great, I can't see that. <laughs> there you go. Cyrus the Great was born between 590 and 580 BC. Now, what a prediction. Let me, let me tell you a bit about Cyrus. The king and queen at the time, she was having visions about this baby they were about to bring into this world. Now, the, the vision was that when she was to give birth, it would, it would, the, the vision was that water was coming out of her and it would spread out. And she thought this meant that, you know, it's going to be prosperous, it's going to be an awesome time. And so they begin to get really excited for this birth. But then she has another vision. And this vision was that when she gave birth, vines came out of her and spread it out throughout the, the, the nation. And this, she began to get paranoid. Maybe this means it's a curse. Maybe this means something bad that we should get rid of the baby. And so when she, has, she gives birth to this baby, she gives it to one of her servants to go and kill. And so this servant takes the baby and he can't bring himself to kill the baby. And so he calls a farmer and, and he says, you go and get rid of this baby, you go and kill the baby. But the farmer, the, the farmer doesn't kill the baby. He tends to the baby, he cares for the baby. Anyways, after a few years later, this baby had now of age is now running around with other kids. And this is a true story. And this, this boy is playing with other kids. They're playing um, law. They're playing law in the, in the courtyard. And, and one noble kid walks along and says, decides to be you know, the one in charge. And he starts whipping one of the other kids um, that they're playing with. And along comes this boy that was, that was, you know, said that they had to kill him. They had to get rid of him. He comes along. Now, he was of royalty, remember. He was born of royal blood. And so you can take the boy out of royal blood and he will still act royal. And so this it, story has it that this boy grabbed the whip from the noble kid and started whipping the noble kid for whipping this other, this other child. And the story reads that it's, it was fearsome that the noble kid had to run back to his dad, his noble, his noble dad, and um, the noble dad goes then to the king and says, this child has been whipping my child and deserves to be punished. And so they go to this farmer who had been caring for this kid. And that farmer is now called before the king. The messenger or the servant that was told to get rid of the kid realizes who the kid was. He realizes and he says to the farmer, because the farmer's worried. He, he's worried that they, he, they're now going to find out that the boy's still alive. And so he's worried. 
But little did he know, the servant was bothered. And so was the father and mother was bothered that this, this was, had been on their conscience the whole time, killing this poor boy. And when they realized, to their surprise, the boy was still alive, they threw a banquet. They threw a banquet that the boy had come of age, that he was strong, that he was noble. And so they throw a banquet, and this boy becomes a cupbearer. Now, I've mentioned this before, but the cupbearer, it's an important part for you. Um, it's, it's a prestige position to be in, because you couldn't just trust anyone with the king's wine cup, because someone could poison it, kill the king, and take the throne. And so if you were entrusted with the cup, you were a very trusted person. This boy became a cupbearer, and later on becomes a general in the army, and he begins to build his own reputation and becomes king. Seventy years later, seventy years later, while Israelite had just finished their captivity, who comes knocking on the door of the Babylonians? Who's waiting at the walls of the Babylonian, ready to throw down the, this mighty empire? It was Cyrus. Cyrus the Great, who was almost killed, who was almost thrown away and lost. God is faithful to his promise. He said, a boy by the name of Cyrus will come. He will free you. He said to Israel, you will be in captivity for 70 years, but I will free you. And on the doors of Babylon was knocking Cyrus the Great. Why? Because God had promised that he would come to save his people, that he would come to free them from captivity. Isn't that a faithful God, a good God, a loving God that does not leave us to fend for ourselves, that does not leave us to be in, in it, to, to, to hide in our own mistakes or to sit in the shame of those mistakes. No, he's there to uplift you. He's there to relieve you from that pain. But I want to finish on this story. The Jesus the greatest. He may not be Cyrus the Great, but Jesus is the greatest to come. He was the greatest to ever be told that he would come because in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah chapter 7, it said that a virgin would bear a baby. God predicted that there would come a hero, come a hero that would save us from our captivity of sin. And he came. He came as a fragile baby. He was born in a manger. He had armies and politics and people who wanted to kill this baby, but God protected him. God saved him, preserved him. For why? For what reason? Because he had to die on the cross for you and I. And had he not died on the cross for you and I, we would not be free today. We would not have the chance to be able to have salvation through who? Through Jesus Christ. Why? Because God made a promise. Because God is faithful. I want to challenge you this morning. That I know, I know because I've been visiting some of you, I know there are some things that you carry. There are some things that you've been holding on for a long time. And as we shared this morning, 
in, in our children's story, it doesn't matter how small that thing is. The longer you hold on to it, the heavier it becomes. The heavier it becomes. But I have told you, the Bible has spoken. God is faithful. He would not allow you to hold that thing any second longer. But you need to give him the permission to take it away from you. You need to allow him to hold that thing. Because we can't, we don't have the strength to hold on to it. We don't have the might to, be, to bear what that is. But he does. He does. And he's faithful. He's already prophesied of a time when Jesus will return. Jesus has, God has not failed on any of the promises he has given us. So he's given us a promise that he will come back. His son will come back to receive us. To free us finally of the physical fragility that we face here today. The powers that press against us. The, the demons and the fallen angels that come against us. He has promised he will come to free us of all of that. Of all of that. But my challenge is that you continue to accept Jesus today. And if that is you, please stand with me. If that is you today, and you want to accept the faithful God in your life, so that he continue to hold the things you can't hold, that he can continue to speak the promises he has for you, over you, and, 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 and fulfill those promises, please stand, if that is you today. God is faithful. God is faithful. And yes, we will come and face times where we don't want to face him. We don't want to talk to him. We don't want to give him what we're holding on to because it's too hard or we're too ashamed to show him. You're not going to surprise God. He wants to take that very thing from you. He wants to be your, your priority. He wants you to be in a relationship with him. So praise God. Let us bow our heads. Father God, we thank you that you are a God that is faithful, that you continue to honor the contract that you made with us, Lord Father. And at times, we have broken those promises. We have broken those contracts. But you don't hold it against us. You don't accuse us of not keeping up on our, our end of the bargain. But we are thankful and grateful that you are a father that will honor that contract, that you are a father that will keep your promises, that you are a father of love. And so we thank you, Father, that through and through and through again, Lord Father, throughout history, throughout the Bible, throughout your word, Lord Father, you have shown us how you have always been faithful. And so I, praise, I pray that everyone here, Lord Father, may continue to experience this. If they're holding on to things, Lord Father, that may seem little, I pray they surrender it now. Don't let it, don't let it burden them any longer, Lord Father. I pray that they release that thing to you so that they can fully experience the blessing you have prepared for them. And so I pray that you bless their families, bless their marriages, their kids, Lord Father, and bless everyone that comes into contact with them so that they may know you are God. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.